This is Ozarks at Large for Friday, October 29th, 2021. I'm Kyle Kellams. This is KUAF 91.3. You can listen to us anytime, anywhere by using our free KUAF app. On our show today, a big day tomorrow at the Museum of Native American History in Bentonville as Dia de los Muertos is observed. To give them a welcome back with us in these days, they come from the dead world to with us, to enjoy with us uh, a little moment. Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore gives us a preview later this hour. And in just a few minutes, Michael Tilley from Talk Business and Politics checks in from his Fort Smith office to help us review some of the week's news. Members of the African American Mayors Association are calling on Congress to approve President Joe Biden's multi-trillion dollar social spending and infrastructure packages as soon as possible. The association, which includes Mayors George McGill of Fort Smith and Frank Scott of Little Rock, held a virtual press conference yesterday urging Congress to pass both packages by this weekend. Mayor Scott of Little Rock praised an extension of the child tax credit included in President Biden's one and three-quarter trillion dollar social spending plan known as the Build Back Better framework. The middle class tax cuts is something that's near and dear, uh, which makes up a lot of our nation's economy as we move forward, and they have not received tax cuts. And so when you have this combination of both Uh, Our tax cuts, as well as this historic investment in early childhood education, we know we are planting the seeds to truly rebuild our nation's cities as as we come out uh, of this global pandemic. According to the White House, the extended tax credit would benefit more than 35 million households who could see up to $300 in tax cuts each month for every child. Mayor Scott credited previous federal spending packages in helping Little Rock crack down on violent crime. Mayor Lincoln Barnett of Hughes in eastern Arkansas is also a member of the organization. There are fewer people with COVID-19 in Arkansas hospitals today than yesterday, but the Arkansas Department of Health also records an additional 19 deaths from the virus in yesterday's report. Hospitalizations dropped by 18 patients and remains at a three-month low, 348. Yesterday's report includes 517 newly diagnosed cases and a slight increase, nine, in active cases throughout Arkansas. The Fayetteville School Board is giving unanimous approval to amend the school district's mask policy to make wearing a mask optional beginning November 15th for students in grades 7 through 12. The board took the vote last night. Arkansas State Senator Lance Eads of Springdale is resigning from the legislature. The Republican announced yesterday he is leaving politics for a job with Capital Consulting Firm. That change also means he will leave his position with the Springdale Chamber of Commerce. A special election to fill his seat will be conducted. There will be a transition at the Arkansas Hospitality Association at the end of this year. Montine McNulty, who has been the CEO of the AHA for a quarter century, says she will leave the post December 31st. Katie Beck will become the new CEO then. McNulty was first appointed to what was then called the Arkansas Parks and Tourism Commission by Governor Bill Clinton more than 30 years ago. The Arkansas Razorback soccer winning streak over at 14. The number four Razorbacks lost their regular season finale at LSU last night. Four to two. The Razorbacks, as the regular season SEC champions, will have the top seed in next week's SEC tournament in Orange Beach, Alabama. The Razorbacks' first match will be in the quarterfinals Tuesday evening against a yet to be determined opponent. And a few area high school volleyball teams will play for state championships tomorrow in Hot Springs. Paris and Hackett face off for the 3A title tomorrow morning at 11. Springdale Harbor and Fayetteville will meet for the 6A championship tomorrow evening at 5. This is Ozarks at Large. With me on the phone from his Fort Smith office is Michael Tilley, who is with Talk Business and Politics. Michael, I know you tend to like cooler weather more than I do. This has been your kind of week, I suppose. Yeah, I don't tend to like it. I love it. Okay. Even when it's it's rainy? Chilly, windy, bring it on. This is is soup weather. This is chilly, like in the food weather. So, perfect. Okay. To each their own, I suppose. Hey, this week <laughs> uh, we had sales tax reports from just about every 
major city in our region, including Fort Smith, and the sales tax revenue that we can look at for the first nine months of 2021, about 16% higher than 2020. Yeah, nine months, you pretty you can pretty much say you have a trend at that point. Uh, yeah, it's up 15.6% compared to the same period in 2020. Um, and possibly um, more importantly, the um, what the city collected from its share of the Sebastian County sales tax was up uh, 15.3%. And, and that's important because, again, we've talked before, that helps fund the city's general fund budget. Uh, much of that budget pays for police, fire, other essential city services. Um, so to have um, more than two million, to, you know, close to two point one million more than budgeted, is a is a good thing for the city. Um, now, one of the things, and it was interesting in in our story, City Administrator Carl Gefkin talked about they're still conservative with their budgets because you know this is. Um, as with many cities in, in, in the region, as you mentioned, many cities around the country, uh, the way consumers spent their money changed and that impacted to the positive local sales taxes. When you, when you, when people in large numbers buy products instead of services, you're going to have that sales tax increase at the local level, which is what we're seeing. And so the challenge for city officials is how long does this continue? Continue. Can we budget based on this? Should we budget based based on this? Um, so that's that's the that's the issue going forward. Uh, and remember, in 2020, during the pandemic year, the city's share of that one percent tax uh, was 18.2 million, almost 18.3 million. That was up almost six percent over 2019. So this more than 15 percent increase is built upon a previous high that was 6%. So that's, um, that's in shaping up to be an incredible two years uh, of tax revenue for the city of Fort Smith in what has been a lousy uh, economy, a national and global economy. So just one of those wonderful little pandemic things you just never saw coming in terms of how the money shaped up. Well, a pandemic thing we did see coming was that there would be fewer people getting on planes during a pandemic, and certainly the airports in our region felt that. But the news for Fort Smith Regional Airport is that in the first nine months of this year, travel is up just more than 18 percent. Yeah, it's coming back. Um, uh, it's through the first, um, between January and September, there's 38,660 like you said, that's eight, up 18.1%, but it's down 51.5% compared to the same period in 2019. What's unfortunate about the numbers about the Fort Smith Regional Airport is that the airport was on a four-year um, string of consecutive growth and employment growth. Uh, American and Delta were operating out of the airport. American had been adding flights. Uh, but in July of last year, because of the pandemic, Delta cut its two flights which was the only Eastern option. It was from Fort Smith to Atlanta, the only Eastern option um, to connect. So now if you fly to Fort Smith and have to travel East, you've got to go to DFW first. And um, I've heard many anecdotal stories about folks who will go to Little Rock or will go to XNA to travel East uh, because they can get a direct connection and uh, loop through DFW sometimes adds almost, a whole day of travel or a half day of travel that they just, they don't, they don't want to go through. So that's what uh, airport director, Fort Smith airport director, Michael Griffin's working on. I got to talk to him. Uh, he says that's his number one request. Um, and his top challenge is to get that Eastern route returned. They're working with a consulting company called Mead and Hunt um, to try to, you know, work with Delta or work with any other carrier uh, who will get them back. Uh, to, with that Eastern des destination, but it's kind of a, you know, it's a chicken and egg kind of thing. Do you have to show that you can get the numbers back before another carrier will show up, or do you have to get the other carrier to show up to get the numbers back? And so that's, that's the challenge for Mr. Griffin is to balance that 
um, he shared with me, and it's in our story, a map of the catchment, what they call a catchment area, their market area, where they think it makes sense for people to fly out of Fort Smith. And if they could get a majority in that catchment area to fly out of Fort Smith, they could, he thinks that they could land another carrier or two to, to get them some more routes out of Fort Smith. Being an airport manager strikes me as one of those jobs where everybody has an opinion of what you should do, but they have no idea how the, these sorts of things happen. Yeah, and, and the um, I've been covering the airport for a few decades now, more than I'd like to admit, I guess. But the thing that people really have to understand, what these commercial carriers do is largely outside of your control. Um, you know, I know the Fort Smith Regional Airport was offering – there for a few months, um, you know, low to no rent for the space that the airlines were using to keep them there or to recruit them or excuse, yeah, to keep them there or to recruit others. Um, but, you know, the market dynamics, um, there's so many market dynamics that to, to, to say an airport director is not doing enough to get airlines in. But, you know, it's, it's hard to, it's really hard to blame them for, um, uh, for what happens in the in the macroeconomic environment. I want to ask you about another kind of process, and that's we've touched on this a couple of weeks ago, the budgeting process for the city of Fort Smith underway. Departments make the request. Where are we now? Well, it's it's um, it, it took a little bit longer to kind of get to some of these key hearings, but they'll begin next week. Um, and we're talking 80, 90 million. One of the key issues, not, and I'll, be short and just talk about the key budget uh, key issue in the budget hearings i think it's going to be for paying for this consent decree work and again by way of reminder fort smith under consent decree the department of justice and the epa um back in 2014 said you guys aren't doing enough to um ensure that uh, your sewer system works and we're gonna mandate that you have to fix that so it's estimated now to be around a $650 million project. That's a lot of money for a city like Fort Smith. Um, I know city director LaVon Morton has in past meetings made it clear. He's not 100% happy about the pace of work and, and or not always happy with the transparency on what work is being done. And then there's the pressure to push park projects. Um, and I didn't really mean for that to be illiterate, but I guess it is. Um, what was once kind of considered a luxury, Kyle, is now largely recognized as economic development necessity to have these amenities. So there'll be some um, focus on that. And then pressure to fund and the fire and police, especially uh, the police, uh, excuse me, especially the fire department as population shift and the city requires possibly new fire stations, new equipment to keep the city's uh, good insurance rating. So, um, sewer parks and fire and police, I think, will be the primary focus. All right. I have one more oddball question that you may not have any answer to. Okay. Well, that's 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 <laughs> common for me not to have an answer to something. <laughs> With so much um, publicity and attention given to supply chain problems, do you think that will either help, hurt, or not matter when it comes to local Christmas spending? Um, I don't, I think, um, it'll be interesting that there'll be an exercise after that's over, this is over that I'm sure really smart economists will do, but what they're probably going to look at is, I think the spending is that it will be, uh, more than last year. The question is how much did those bottlenecks put a lid on where the spending could have gone? Does that make sense? It does. It does. So I, I think that'll be the exercise after the holidays uh, and after maybe even the supply chain bottlenecks um, kind of relax is how much consumer spending was suppressed because it just the the um, the goods just weren't there to buy. All right. Michael Tilly can't answer oddball questions very well. He's with Talk <laughs> Business and Politics. Michael, we'll talk to you next Friday. All right. Thank you, sir. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation.
Support for KUAF comes from La Jolla Agency, presenting Beatles vs. Stones, a musical showdown, Wednesday, November 10th at the Majestic Fort Smith. Beatles and Rolling Stones National Touring Tribute Bands will perform sets, and the audience will pick their favorite from their performances. Advanced tickets are available at MajesticFortSmith.com. Still to come on this Friday edition of Ozarks at Large, our Jacqueline Froelich takes us to the Hamilton Center in Fort Smith. There, an organization provides free services to children who are victims of physical or sexual abuse. That's later on this Friday edition of Ozarks at Large on your public radio station, KUAF. This week on the KUAF Vinyl Hour, it's our fifth annual Halloween show. And this time we're paying tribute to a quintessential Halloween record. Rocky Erickson's and the Aliens' 1981 release, The Evil One. Ghosts, vampires, two-headed dogs, this record has everything you need to get into the Halloween state of mind. Plus, songs from The Exorcist, Echo and the Bunnymen, Psycho, The Rocky Horror Picture Show, and more. It's a playlist for Halloween Eve, this Saturday at 5 o'clock on the KUAF Vinyl Hour. This is Ozarks at Large. Thanks for being with us. All day tomorrow, the Museum of Native American History in Bentonville will be celebrating life and honoring memories with their Dia de los Muertos event. Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore sat down with Lourdes Valverde and Charlotte Buchanan-Yale to discuss the history of the celebration and what to expect at the event tomorrow in Bentonville. Dia de los Muertos, which translates in English to Day of the Dead, may be known for its skulls and skeletons. But according to Lourdes Valverde, it's truly a celebration of life. To give them a welcome back with us in these days, they come from the dead world to with us, to enjoy with us uh, a little moment. This tradition dates back over 3,000 years to the Aztecs and the native people of Mexico. The holiday is typically celebrated on the 1st and 2nd of November, as a way to remember and honor loved ones that have passed away. One element of the memorial is an ofrenda, which is an altar containing some favorite foods and memories with the dearly departed. So we prepare the altar for them, and we honor them, we talk about them, and we prepare the things that they love in life, and we share with with the family. Charlotte Buchanan-Yale is the director of the Museum of Native American History. And she says it's important to celebrate life, especially within your own family. So many of us, you know, get to an elder position in our life and you didn't ask all the questions. And to not just say that I had an Aunt Berta, but to give Aunt Berta dimension, that she was Rosie the Riveter, that she was an educator, that she traveled the world. It just means the world to us that, you know, we start looking closer at home to those roots. These roots are a reminder of the legacy of those that have come before us, an opportunity to celebrate them, and to also see the growth that has happened because of the past generations. This kind of celebration is to make a, like a relief for us, to talking about them, to let the pain go out of you and uh, remember them. Because they were beautiful people. Why not to speak about them? And that's exactly what Lourdes and Charlotte and those at Mona plan to do. Starting at 10 a.m., they will play the Disney film Coco, the recent animated film about Dia de los Muertos. And then we will have a a play about Day of the Dead. It's a comedy. Uh, We have a group of Mexican people and doing in Spanish and in English. The play, traditional dance ceremonies, and the creation of the calaveras, which are the colorful skulls and masks, will be happening throughout the day. Another colorful element of the celebration are the monarch butterflies, according to Mexican legend. Uh, yes, of course. It is a, a legend from a, a little town in, in Mexico where a community of Purepecha create because... Um, Michoacán is the place where the 
butterflies pasta in Bern. According to folklore, the monarch butterflies are the souls of our loved ones, and they make their return during Day of the Dead. The genesis of this lore comes from an island in Mexico, which is situated next to a lake. Lago de Pascuaro. You can see all the butterflies, thousands of butterflies. This is an amazing spectacle over there. And then the butterfly cross the the lake to go to the the island. And the Purepecha say that if you open your heart and see carefully in the lake, you can see in the reflection of the butterfly the soul of your loved ones. Charlotte says there's a monarch butterfly mural that is interactive as a way to remember the souls of those who have gone before. There'll be monarch butterflies that you can write the name of someone that you have loved and you like to keep their memory alive and put it on the uh, altar that we have there. So it's a full day of festivities. That's all day Saturday in Bentonville. You can find out more details about the event by going to monah.us. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Matthew Moore. Any Ozarks at Large story that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend can be found at ozarksatlarge.com. Each report and interview on our show is there, accompanied by a link that lets you share through email or social media. This is Ozarks at Large. Hamilton Center for Child Advocacy in Fort Smith provides free services to children that are victims of physical or sexual abuse or neglect. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich met with the director who facilitates helping as many as a thousand children each year. In a quiet medical complex high on a hill across from Mercy Hospital in central Fort Smith stands the nonprofit Hamilton Center for Child Advocacy. It's a secure facility serving children and families in crisis. Executive Director Lori Burnett says the agency, founded in 2010 until recently, was widely known as Hamilton House. Well, we changed our name mainly because the word house in, in Hamilton House gave a very big misconception that we were a shelter. And myself and the board decided it was time to make the change. Um, we wanted to keep the name Hamilton because that was our founding director's name, and we wanted to respect that and keep her as part of this organization, but take the word house out. Hamilton Center, for short, is among an array of children's advocacy centers operating in Arkansas, serving specific regions. We're the only child advocacy center in our five-county area. So we serve Sebastian County, Crawford County, Logan County, Scott County, and Franklin County. Children's Advocacy Centers of Arkansas also operate in Benton and Washington counties with five other regional county centers on the Ozarks. All told, 17 centers serve the state with the Central Bureau in Little Rock. Centers follow strict procedures when responding to children disclosing abuse. Whenever a um, hotline call is made to the child abuse hotline, that call is assigned to an investigator. And it could be um, Crimes Against Children Division of the State Police. It could be local law enforcement. It could be the Department of Children and Family Services. Somebody's going to get assigned to that case. And when they get assigned to that case, they contact our center to set up an appointment, and they the family comes here. So we're sort of the hub And the purpose for that is so that the children don't have to go to many different agencies. So we don't want them going to the hospital for a medical exam and going to the police department for an interview and going to the prosecutor's office for another interview and going to to mental health at another agency. So we're the hub. All of the services are provided in our location. So this child comes to a safe child-friendly, neutral environment where they're loved on and taken care of and listened to and given all the services that they need to help them heal from this abuse and then move forward um, to the path to recovery so that they can grow up and be healthy adults. Hamilton Center counts eight staff. They include trained entry-level advocates who help families or caregivers navigate services, as well as highly trained forensic interviewers who gather incident details about alleged child abuse, working in collaboration with law enforcement investigators. So it's very important that the investigator is present for the interview so that if the interviewer doesn't 
cover something that they feel is relevant that needs to be talked about, then the interviewer usually takes a break in the middle of the interview, goes out, talks to the investigator, and says, have I missed anything? Is there anything else you want me to cover? You know, do you want me to expound on anything? And then the investigator will let the interviewer know what else needs to be discussed, if anything, and then they go back in and, and try to bring up the topic in a way that's not leading or suggestive. And then they'll get the rest of the information that they need, and then that interview is used um, in the investigative process. That interview is taken to the prosecutor if necessary. So the child doesn't have to tell their story over and over and over again. They tell it once. We get as much information as possible at that one time. And then that interview is what is used by all the other um, players in the investigation. Hamilton Center also helps with legal protective orders if necessary, housing and utility assistance, paperwork, even gas money. All children's advocacy centers in Arkansas receive federal VOCA funding, an acronym for Victims of Crimes Act, created by Congress in 1984 to provide federal support to state and local programs that assist victims of crime. So we are funded mainly by them and by some state funding. Um, then the state chapter of the Child Advocacy Centers of Arkansas also provides us with a little bit of funding. And then we get funding from donors. The center cannot respond to walk-ins like a shelter, but does field cold calls. So if they call us and they say, um, they tell us what happens, then we'll make the hotline call. Or um, if they tell us that they told us, you know, a teacher at school, then we'll check to see if a hotline call has come through or what have you, or we'll refer them directly to law enforcement. But if we know enough about it, we'll make the hotline call. But usually if they call us and say, you know, my daughter was, you know, sexually abused by an uncle three months ago, we'll tell them to make a hotline call. Once the hotline call is made, then we get the case. Hamilton Center also operates an informative website to encourage anyone who may be fearful about reporting or calling neglect or abuse of a child. Well, they can visit our website, which has information about how they can report or how they can contact us. And our website is hamiltoncca.org. Burnett says cases dramatically declined during the pandemic, likely because children were at home in isolation. Away from their mandated reporters. So these children were cooped up inside. Um, they didn't have access to tell people what was going on with them. And so, you know, they were, they, the mandated reporters, their, their teachers, their school counselors, what have you, didn't know what was happening. So we didn't see an increase in cases. But with the pandemic easing, she says, calls for help are rising. Since school has been back in session, we have seen that mandated reporters have started reporting again and the cases have um, come back up to what they were before. In a majority of cases, data show child abuse is committed by a parent or relative. The most common is physical injury or children may be subject to sexual assault, emotional or medical abuse, or neglect, failure to provide adequate food, shelter, affection, supervision, education, or medical care. But what prompts a child to tell an authority? Because child abuse remains a hidden epidemic in America, it's up to teachers, physicians, and concerned family members to assure all children how to safely ask for help. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. To report suspected child abuse or neglect, call 1-800-482-5964 or 1-844-SAVE-A-CHILD. If you go to OzarksAtLarge.com, you can find a link that goes to the Hamilton Center. And there, at their website, you can find out more about operations and support. Central Arkansas Library System's Six Bridges Book Festival is October 21st through the 31st. This free festival offers virtual presentations from authors Sandra Cisneros, Susie Garcia, Melissa Lozada Oliva, and others. Select sessions are available in Spanish through a grant from the Arkansas Humanities Council and the National Endowment for the Humanities. SixBridgesBookFestival.org for event schedule. 
KUAF is giving away tickets to the 74th annual Eureka Springs Folk Festival, November 11th through the 14th. Performers include Gangsta Grass and The Creek Rocks, Todd Snyder, Arkansas, Sam Baker, and more. The winner will be announced Friday, November 5th, during the noon edition of Ozarks at Large. Registration and details available at KUAF.com. This is Ozarks at Large. We are calling Bella Vista to reach out to Becca Martin-Brown, features editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Becca, you there? Hello? Yeah, Hello? Okay. All right. Can you hear me now? <laughs> yes, we actually have real phones in Bella Vista. Yes. Well, what's going on? Amazing. Well, you tell me first. Have you been to the theater lately? Uh, went last night to come come from away. Ah, that's what I wanted to hear is what you thought of it. Uh, it's, you know, uh, it's inspired, of course, by real events that happened in the hours after 9-11, but it's incredibly relevant to right now. Did you love it? I did. And I'm not a I, musical is not my first and foremost selection of entertainment, but this was really good. Well, here's the premise. If people have no idea what we're talking about, the play is currently at the Walton Art Center, and it's not about 9/11. It's about September 12th. Yeah, exactly. Well put. And what happened in a tiny town in Newfoundland when 38 planes had to land there? And apparently it is warm and fuzzy and celebratory and all about the coming together that we all are so desperate to do now. And I have not seen it, but it sounds really amazing. Did I make this up, or did you go to Newfoundland? No, I went to Iceland. I went to Iceland. Iceland. Yeah. Okay. I'd love to go to Newfoundland. I'd love that. In summer. I bet it's beautiful. Yeah. So this is on through the weekend at the Walton Art Center. Eight o'clock showtimes today and tomorrow. One third, oh, two o'clock tomorrow and Sunday. And tickets start at $41. But it is not your only theater choice for the weekend. No. Arkansas Public Theater in Rogers is doing a play by Ken Ludwig. We love him for plays like Lend Me a Tenor and Moon Over Buffalo. This one is called The Fox on the Fairway. I'm unfamiliar with this. Well, the premise is that the Quail Valley Country Club is facing its oldest rival, the Crouching Squirrel Golf and Racquet Club. Okay. In the golf tournament of the decade. Okay. And, of course, everything that can go wrong will. And there's lots of running in and out of doors and chasing each other and double takes and triple takes. And it should be hilariously funny. It is not a musical, but it's got a wonderful cast it should be a lot of fun. We have characters named like Louise Heidenbetter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And of course, the Crouching Squirrel Golf and Racquet Club. You kind of know where this is going. Eight o'clock today and tomorrow, two o'clock Sunday and again next weekend at Arkansas Public Theater at the Victory in downtown Rogers. And tickets start at $20. And then Theater Squared has a new show open. Oh, yes, they do called Tiny Beautiful Things. And if I understand the premise of this correctly, this is about a memoir writer who took over the Dear Sugar column. Mm -hmm. And all of the things, well, not all of the things, because it doesn't last a week, but many of the things she learned... I suspect this feels a little bit like Humans of New York meets Dear Abby. Okay, okay, I got you. With a little touch of Miss Manners. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's had amazing, wonderful reviews, and it has a cast that we have seen before on the Theater Squared stage, including Rebecca Harris, who plays Sugar. She was in Theater Squared's very first production. 
That's right. So I think it, too, will be great fun. You're starting to see a conflict here, right? You can't do it all. You're going to have... You can. You actually can. Oh. Because Tiny Beautiful Things continues through December 5th. Okay. Okay. So you're going to have to go to Come From Away this weekend, because it ends Sunday. Right. Then you're going to have to go to the Fox on the Fairway next weekend. Okay. Because it ends that Sunday. And then you can go to Tiny Beautiful Things because you've got the rest of November. But couldn't you do them all this weekend? You could if you had as much energy as we used to when we were 30. (laughs) Okay. Perfect. So good luck with that. Oh, and Tiny Beautiful Things is also streaming. Mm. So that could cut down travel time for you anyway. Of course, next weekend, next Friday is also the first Sona concert of the season, too. Yeah. Yeah. Tomorrow night is also Gravit Trick or Treat from 4 to 7. The Halloween Festival from 4 to 7 at Shiloh Square in Springdale. And the Fright Night Fling from 5 to 8 at the Fort Smith Trolley Museum, which I think sounds so fun. And there's more in Friday's paper and there's more in Sunday's paper. Kyle and I have started comparing this, folks, to a fire hose that we're trying to take a drink out of. Because there's just so much happening. We're just trying to keep y'all from drowning. There you go. Becca Martin-Brown is the Features Editor at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Becca, as always, thank you for your time. Happy to do it. See you next week. In the background is a group known as Avatar doing A Safe Space for Children. And I'm Robert Ginsburg, your host for Shades of Jazz every Friday and Saturday. We'll hear more from Avatar as well as Antonio Adolfo, the Louis Armstrong All-Stars, Dee Dee Bridgewater, and much more. Tune in to Shades of Jazz right here on KUAF 91.3 FM. Shades of Jazz with Robert Ginsburg tonight, beginning at 10 on KUAF 91.3 and tomorrow from 11 a.m. until 1 p.m. on KUAF 3. You can listen to KUAF 3 absolutely free on your HD radio, in your car, or at home, or by going to KUAF.com and by accessing the live streams through our updated free KUAF app for iPhone and iPad. And you can hear encore broadcasts of other weekend music shows that are produced inside the Carver Center for Public Radio, like The Pick and Post with Mike Shirky, The Generic Blues Show with Paul Kelso, Jazz Scoop with Rob Wells, and the KUAF Vinyl Hour with Lee Wood. The entire schedule for KUAF 3 can be found online at KUAF.com. This is Ozarks at Large. I am joined via Zoom by Courtney Lanning, film critic with the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Courtney, how's it going? Well, tired, but doing good, Kyle. Okay. I understand tired, believe me. You have selected a kind of a superstar in the anime world for a review this week. That's correct. There's a new movie coming out this week that Superstar describes pretty well. And this is My Hero Academia. World Heroes? World Heroes Mission. World Heroes Mission. All right. The first question, because a lot of people perhaps will hear the word anime and think, oh, I can't I can't enter into this. It, 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 it's a sort of genre or world I'm not going to understand. Does this movie allow for neophytes to come in and watch? I really think it does. You know, this is a, a fairly accessible movie. Um, although it's based on, you know, a, a TV series, an anime over in Japan. You don't have to have watched any of that to be able to enjoy this movie. It's a fairly enjoyable and easy to understand world. Basically, the simple premise is in this world, in the world of My Hero Academia, most people are born with some kind of superpower, strength or flight or x-ray vision or what have you. And this movie is basically about a cult trying to get rid of everybody with superpowers. Oh, so they don't want the, the superpowered around. They do not. So the, the cults in this movie is essentially convinced that superpowers and people are bringing about the end of the world. Mm. And so they 
they set up a bunch of bombs in big cities all over the world, and they challenged the heroes to try to stop them. All right. Well, I'm, you know, me. I, I, I you say superhero, and I'm super interested. Um, if you got superheroes, you got a supervillain. You do, and that's really the only downside of this movie is the villain's kind of a bummer. You know, here in America, we've been spoiled with some fantastic movies, thanks to Marvel and some DC. But, you know, with Marvel films, they've given us some legendary villains. You've got Killmonger, you've got Loki, you've got Thanos. But the villain of this movie is just kind of a dull letdown. You know, he's he's evil because the writers wanted him to be. And and that's about it. No real backstory, no buildup. He's just he's there for the the heroes to defeat. Mm, that's eh, that's kind of a shame uh, when you're talking anime. The question is, how is the how, how does it look? How's the animation? It looks phenomenal. I mean, there's all kinds of exciting fights. And even when the characters are just zooming across the screen, everything looks amazing. This is a wonderful piece of art, just like the the two other My Hero Academia movies that came before this. And and again, they're all separate stories. You don't have to have watched anything previously to understand them. It's just a group of kids with superpowers that are trying to defeat a villain. You know, it'd be like sitting down to watch Disney's Big Hero 6. You don't need any previous backstory to get it. I like and I liked Big Hero 6. Okay, so you, you mentioned these uh, super-powered folks are kids? They're young people? Yeah, that that's part of the premise is these, these kids, the main heroes, are in sort of a school to learn how to be superheroes. So you might think of, uh, what was the Disney superhero movie that came out before Disney bought Marvel? Was it Sky High? Something, yes. They Sky had a, High on Disney Channel. You're right. Yeah, had a had a movie about superhero kids in school learning how to be heroes. And that's that's the same situation here. So then speaking of, of young people, could someone have their eight or 10 year old child, niece, nephew, grandchild sit down and watch this with them? Absolutely. I mean, there's there's just a little bit of blood, uh, not much, uh, maybe a minor swear word here or there, no four letter words. So, yeah, all the. All the little eight, nine-year-old kids that want to watch this are, are going to enjoy it. All right. But you don't have to have an eight or nine-year-old with you to enjoy it. No. You you could just be a 31-year-old girl sitting on her couch, um, like myself, who just wanted to sit down and watch it. <laughs> okay. My Hero Academia World Heroes Mission. Is this in theaters only, or can I watch it on television? This is theaters only, and it'll be in theaters uh, Friday. All right. But I don't know I don't know how long it'll stick around because anime films tend to have pretty small release windows. So if you're going to watch it, this weekend might be the weekend to do it. What are the other big screen American movies that are opening on Friday? So also on the big screen, you have one that I'm really excited to watch this weekend called Last Night in Soho. This is a, a British time travel murder mystery, and it looks fantastic. It looks like it might unnerve me from the previews. It looks like it'll be kind of an edgy film, yeah. All right. Uh, and there's also something, well, there's always something new on Netflix, right? Every time you tune in, they got like 19 new releases. <laughs> but there's another one you want to uh, that's coming out on Netflix you want to point us toward. Yes. Um, there, the big Netflix movie coming out this week is called Army of Thieves, I think a couple of months ago, I was talking with you about Netflix movie Army of the Dead, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, which mm-hmm. was Netflix's big budget zombie film this year. Army of Thieves is, is a spinoff of that, but it's my understanding that it's set in the same world, but some of the same characters. But thieves instead of zombies or zombies and thieves? It's my understanding you're going to get zombies and thieves. Okay. All right. Uh now, what about next week when we chat? What what do you hope to review? So next week, uh, I will be reviewing, and I already have the copy, so no surprises next week. There's a new post-apocalyptic sci-fi movie with Tom Hanks coming out next week called Finch. Finch. All right. I believe uh, the last time you and I talked about Tom Hanks, you referred to Tom Hanks as America's sweetheart. He is. It's kind of hard to beat Tom Hanks. So, My Hero Academia, World Heroes Mission, two thumbs up, go see it in the theater, and next week we'll talk Tom Hanks.
that sounds like a deal, Kyle. Courtney Lanning, film critic for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, and the full review of My Hero Academia, World Heroes Mission in Friday's Democrat Gazette. Courtney, as always, thank you for your time. Thanks for having me, Kyle. Support for KUAF comes from the Northwest Arkansas Business Journal, now featuring professional development with information on colleges and public and private schools, plus local business news from Northwest Arkansas. Subscriptions and information available at nwabusinessjournal.com. KUAF is supported by Pack Rat Outdoor Center in Fayetteville, serving Northwest Arkansas since 1973 with adventure gear and clothing for hiking, kayaking, and more. Pack Rat carries dog packs, life vests, and accessories for the furry family members too. PackRatOC.com for online shopping, shipping, or curbside pickup. What do you think of when you hear the word witch or occult? Cartoon images of Halloween and horror films might spring to mind, but there's a store in downtown Fayetteville trying to make witchcraft more accessible. And as Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth reports, the market is growing. From altars to crystals to tarot decks and even ritual blades, the Four of Wands, a metaphysical shop in Fayetteville, offers products for the ever-growing occult market. But owner Melissa Hall says people of any faith or background are welcome with one new exception. Absolutely everyone is welcome here, uh, as long as you wear a mask. <laughs> Hall opened her store back in 2018 and says the pandemic has been difficult. They had to limit hours, put in new safety measures, and even cancel events. One of our goals is to provide a safe place for community. So hopefully we're meeting that. But we found another event space, so not to worry. We will have events again. But on the Saturday morning when I visit, there's a steady stream of customers ready to get their hands on the items they need. After cleansing those hands with hand sanitizer, of course. Hall says she started the store because she felt it was important for people to get these products locally. Because these are the sort of things that you don't want to buy over the internet. It's really a lot nicer to touch crystals and candles and see how big they really are and what color they really are and touch the tarot decks. And we actually have a lot of um, samples of several of the tarot and oracle decks that you can touch the cards and turn them over and see what the back is and decide whether that one's for you or not. And demand for those products is on the rise. An industry report from Ibis World shows that the psychic services industry is worth nearly $2 billion, and that revenue is projected to jump by 2.5% in 2021 alone. Charlotte Winchester, a tarot card reader originally from England but now in Fayetteville, often gives readings at the Four of Wands, which coincidentally gets its name from a tarot card. And she says she's definitely seen more people seeking out her services during the pandemic. So there's the tarot card that's the hermit. And we basically just had like a huge hermit yet because we were forced to be inside. And like we had to look at ourselves, I think, and, and figure out like, and I think too, because of the way that like everyone had to figure out how to work and a lot of work went to being done differently. Where And I think that's had a big impact on people thinking about like well what do I actually want to do and what can I do thinking like well if I can do this differently what else can I do you know like how else could I do something different so yeah I think it has had a big impact on how people think about it and Haley Smith an astrologer based in northwest Arkansas says she started to focus in on her practice in 2020 something last April just kind of compelled me to do it and it was a pretty wise decision because I had quite a few clients and I have read similar articles that astrologers had quite the year last year of people coming to them. I think to the tune of like billions of dollars um, of astrologers all over. And I would say at least when considering the timeframe of the pandemic and how it continues, I think the pandemic was illuminating of a lot of things, including the reflections on the fact of mortality and really getting intimate with this idea of our own mortality. And your birth chart is a pretty powerful 
tool, very, very unique to you that can help you work with the material and with the preciousness of your life. Smith and Winchester both say they get a mix of clients, but they did say most tend to be younger women. Early 20s tends to be how old they are. Um, so they're either in college or they just got out of college. Um, and they're usually so, like kind of, <laughs> other shall we kind of like fondly would call them like baby witches. <laughs> they're like new to it, you know, pretty new to the practice, but they're really curious and interested about it. A study from Pew Research shows that millennials are less religious than previous generations, but about 60% of them believe in New Age spirituality. For a long time, New Age, pagan, or occult practices were seen as dark or scary, but perception of that is changing. And Smith says as a new generation of people become more politically active and empowered, They're pushing back on critiques, which she says are rooted in colonialism, racism, and misogyny. These traditions are so disrespected is because they are extremely powerful. If they weren't powerful, they wouldn't have been, uh, you know, taken away from colonized peoples all over the world. They wouldn't have been made illegal in colonies. Ooh, I can keep going, but (laughs) I think that's a huge part of it is that it is immensely immensely powerful and it's also so empowering to have intimacy with self to be rooted and to be so self-possessed i think all of these practices help us connect to ourselves and to connect to each other more deeply and the current systems that we're living under don't want us to be in connection with ourselves and connection with each other and as witchcraft goes more mainstream winchester says people are turning to her not out of novelty but genuine curiosity before the past few years it's felt a bit more like oh that's that thing that you do over there and i'm just gonna like be curious about it from over here but i'm not gonna try to kind of learn any more about it and now it's a lot more people want they're not just curious about it but they want to learn about it like how to do it or how to understand it or you know like there's a lot more of a um seems like more of a drive to be able to do it themselves. Back at the Four of Wands, Melissa Hall walks through the shop and points to a community altar placed by the front register. We do always have a um, community altar. Right now we have our Samhain altar up, which is the time Halloween. October 31st is when we um, honor our beloved dead. And Hall says one major misconception is still around the term witch. It's not a negative word, and if you practice witchcraft, you're not necessarily Wiccan. But if you're Wiccan, you don't necessarily practice witchcraft. People will practice witchcraft and be Christian. Um, That's been a, a, a hoodoo practitioner's. She says she wants the Four of Wands to be a space for people to learn about these often misunderstood spiritual practices. The Four of Wands isn't interested in selling this stuff to people. We are providing supplies for people who already know what they want or they're interested in learning. And any kind of belief system you have, come on in, you might find something that you like. Or just walk around and uh, have a field trip. (laughs) These are called athames, they're ceremonial blades that are used in rituals. Herb bundles are from my land. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Daniel Carruth. This is one of our new ones. This is KUAF 91.3, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Ponca. KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Contributors today included Matthew Moore, Daniel Carruth, Jacqueline Froelich, Michael Tilly, Becca Martin-Brown, and Courtney Lanning. Additional content came from the news staff at KUAR in Little Rock. Our theme, written and performed by Daryl Sean. I'm Kyle Kellums. Thanks so much for being with us. We'll be back with you Sunday morning at 9 for Weekend Ozarks at Large. Back Monday for a new week of daily shows. Be well.